Welcome to SRG Offscript, the podcast where experts at Succession Resource Group unpack the latest industry trends, recommendations, and observations for independent advisors managing their practice. No fluff and a little entertainment. In each episode, we'll discuss ways in which you can understand and leverage the value of your business, grow your business through M&A, but also through an optimized organizational structure, improve and protect your business to create a sustainable enterprise that can hopefully outlast you, and lastly, preparing for your eventual retirement and how to maximize that result. So, we encourage you to listen in with whatever beverage suits your preference, and let's get to the forefront of industry trends with a fresh perspective to help you achieve your business goals. Compensation. It's one of those topics we want to know more about because it's something that every business has or will struggle with. And if you aren't struggling with it, you probably aren't trying hard enough. Well, David Grau doesn't shy away from any topic, even one as challenging as compensation. I'm Patrice Sikora. David, M&A activity has continued to evolve and change, and you're on the forefront of that. But if you had to name one other major change you've seen in the industry, what would it be? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question because you're right. Mergers and acquisitions, succession planning has had major changes over the last 10 or 20 years. But the other big one, I would say, and it's kind of related to you know, our topic for today, compensation, and even the stuff that we eat, sleep, and breathe, and that is mergers and acquisitions. It is the evolution of the practice to a business in our industry. We're sort of seeing this fork on the road where folks are opting out of getting stuck in the middle, which we love to see because that's not a great place to be in Mm -hmm. any business, in any industry, opting for either A, the lifestyle practice, it is lean, it is mean, it is uber efficient, and it is built to their lifestyle. It could be literally a solopreneur all by themselves doing a great job for 60, 70, 80 households, high net worth individuals typically. Or it is the other side, building the enterprise, where they are empire builders. And there's certainly not as many of those as a percentage, but there is a surprising number of folks that when you look at those two options, they almost find that they've had enough success that they didn't realize they even headed down the right fork in the road. And they're focused on building an enterprise now where really they realized they had gotten away from being a lifestyle practice, but I don't think until they really paused and looked up that they realized, oh, shoot, I'm kind of a like part-time CEO. I'm This is a legitimate business. And sometimes that's they're excited about that prospect. Other times, I mean, frankly, all of us at certain moments, like, they have this oh shit moment, like, oh, <laughs> this is not what I set out to do. But you know what? It's kind of working. And I think feel like I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. So Biggest change is that fork in the road is folks being very intentional about building a lifestyle practice or a true enterprise. And out of that, you start to see things start to shape up like job descriptions. You know, as you start to build an enterprise or even a lifestyle practice, frankly, with a couple key roles, we're starting to see this evolution of even lifestyle practice starting to look a little bit and run a little bit more like a business. Simple one, mind you, intentionally but still a business where they have a job description. As you start to have a couple of job descriptions, you back up and squint your eyes. That starts to look a little bit like an org chart. So they put together an org chart. You have an org chart and you start to have different people in these different positions. And as you grow out of that lifestyle practice into the enterprise, they start to end up having 
specialists. They get away from these generalists of trying to go out there and hire somebody who can source business, they can service business, and they can manage the investments. Like that's, they're basically looking for themselves just 10 or 20 years ago, which is every now and then, don't get me wrong, they find somebody, but even a broke clock is right twice a day. Like it's not a great way to try to scale a business. And so we're starting to see these businesses now as they create their job descriptions, they're starting to grow and they need more size and scale. They're creating specialists. Well, now all of a sudden we have a more narrow job description. It's a little easier to hire and train for that. And as a result, then bringing it all full circle, really helping support all of these efforts and initiatives and changes is the compensation. Like getting away from grid-based pay for performance to a more sustainable living wage that frankly, I think people coming out of college would even start to get excited about. And we haven't seen that in this industry ever. Where do they go for guidance on how to put this together? Where do they know where to start when it comes to compensation? Ooh, that is a tough one, honestly. I mean, this is also coming from the seat as a fellow business owner, like compensation is tough. It's not easy. It's not something you want to mess with. You don't want to get it wrong. And not just selfishly because you want to win as a business, but because generally when you have people and you have them for any length of time, you start to build relationships, whether you meant to or not. I mean, they become important people, certainly in your professional life, if not personal as well, but they do impact even the personal life. So it's important to make sure that you get guidance and support. So they'll do research. We'll see them go to places like Investment News, Investment News and the Moss Adams compensation study has been done for years. It's a good place to start in terms of calibrating a compensation plan or figuring out how much to pay somebody. The FPA has put out some great resources. There is a very small number, at least from what I have seen, and I've actively sought this out and I go to a lot of conferences and we work with a lot of broker dealers and custodians and coaches. There's just not a lot of support on developing a compensation plan from somebody who knows what they're doing. Like they have done this enough. They have the compensation research to help provide informed opinions. So there's a handful of consultants out there. I would tell you, Patrice, we only do it because it is so impactful to the other work that we do on succession planning and building a valuable business that it, it was almost painful to watch it come through the door on the valuation side of people getting this stuff. I don't say wrong, but for now, let's just call it spade a spade. It's wrong or it's suboptimal for what they're trying to build. It's incongruent where they're trying to build an ensemble enterprise team and they're paying people like solo siloed advisors and then they get frustrated with the results, which is understandable. So honestly, I tell you, probably 90% of the compensation plans I see out there are homegrown. Like it's trial and error, like so many of us. And then the other 10% work with a firm like ours or one of the other consultants out there, but there's just not a lot of support. You know, I can see someone from a firm that, as you say, did it homegrown, suddenly looking across the the fence and thinking, wow, I could do that over there. I mean, it's, right? you know, you're opening the door to the, to them leaving. It, it really is. That's why compensation is such a tough thing that, Messing with it could lead to you either you know not getting candidates that you wanted because it's not competitive. It could lead to you overpaying somebody, also not really great long-term, certainly not sustainable. It could cause you to lose key team members that you don't want to lose. 
but also not changing it mm. can cause you all of those same heartaches. So it, it's one of those things where I get why people are you know cautious, why they don't want to mess with it. And frankly, it is, I mean, it's an investment in the business that the owner is making when they bring on, let's say that first staff person, which is generally one of the hardest because you go from you know, just yourself to then deciding I will take less money home next month and I'll give it to somebody else who next month will contribute nothing to the firm. In fact, will take time away from me and I'll have less money as a result. So it's getting those hires on board, being able to scale the business. That stuff is just really, really hard. And compensation is one of those things that it feels like as business owners, we're talking about it all the time. But I mean, when you go back to the fact that the employees, your professionals on your team are the lifeblood of the business, it's kind of hard to not yeah. shine a spotlight on it and have to keep looking at it and talking about it. But if, if you do the compensation plan right, yes, you may revisit it you know, annually like every firm does. But eventually, you hopefully get it to a point where you've got things in balance, it's working well, and it's just small tweaks and adjustments. And that is fine. You're not always going to get it right, but there's always next year. Well, keep going. Keep talking about why does a compensation plan matter? So, I mean, it's that old cliche saying the compensation drives behavior in anything. I mean, you think about even just your children, as much as we hate to do it, like I will pay you to do chores. It's called an allowance. I'll pay you exactly. to read. I, yep. You can figure out what your currency is in your household, whether it's, you know, earning screen time or whatever it might be. But it is one of those things that in a business, it will drive the outcomes that you are looking for, whether you meant for it to or not. So it drives how an advisory firm services clients. When I give my key team members compensation that is grid-based, for example. It's a percentage of GDC, a percentage of revenue. And then I give them some clients and then I give them bonuses based on bringing in new business. I, I can't be surprised when they don't focus on tending to the current stable of clients and they go focus on prospecting because that's how the compensation plan was set up. So it, it is really, really important because number one, it does drive behaviors. Number two, when you bring those team members in, their job is to understand the compensation system and then try to maximize it, which is a nice way of saying sort of game the system, take advantage of it. <laughs> yeah, You build it, they work within the confines of it, which means we have to be very intentional and sort of forward-looking, making sure that this thing will work and it will scale with the business. So you know, there are a lot of firms... We see this in the valuations again a lot where they are paying, the owners are paying the employees better than the owners, not more, but better. I mean, what is true in all firms for us as owners is we might get paid the most sometimes, but we always get paid last. When you ah, see these grid-based or GDC-based firms that are paying their people that way, they're getting paid right off the top, percentage of top-line revenue. That, I mean, if I had to pick, like, would I rather have my 100% of the bottom line or 30% of the top line with no headaches? Uh, I'll take the 30% off the top, <laughs> please, and thank you. Yeah. Which you think, okay, well, it's, it's fine. But eventually, they're going to become a partner and they're going to shift to being focused on the bottom line. Yeah, but when that day comes and we offer them the opportunity to shift to being an owner and buying in and getting a percentage of the bottom line, you can't be terribly surprised when you talk to three or four of them 
And only one or two raise their hand because the rest of them make a good living. They don't have any headaches. And conceptually, they get paid better and simpler than the owners. That makes our job on succession planning really hard. Yeah, 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 yeah. When you say compensation, do you include benefits? Yes. I mean, the funny thing is the benefit conversation, even that one has continued to broaden. I mean, think back to when I was starting in this business or just as a professional in general. When you said benefits, we all knew what that meant. That was your your vacation time, your sick time, your health care, medical, dental, vision. That's it. That was it. Now you look at these benefits packages and they want, and you're oftentimes having to build benefits packages that include, you know, not even vacation and sick time like that. Even saying that feels antiquated. Like now we've got PTO and unlimited PTO or flexible PTO, whatever you want to call it, but where you, you just take time off and you can work on getting it approved, but you don't have like, you didn't accrue 20 hours this year. Like you just take the time off you want. You've got compensation reimbursement. You've got flexible work schedules where you don't have to come into the office three days a week. Like the benefits package is still those basics for sure. But it's also now gone beyond that where we're oftentimes helping people build phantom equity sharing plans, the educational reimbursement stuff. I mean, it just, it hasn't gotten out of hand, but it has definitely gotten more complicated, even on something as simple as benefits. But something like that, would seem to me that would tell me that the firm is looking to the future. I'm, I want you to improve yourself and be here for me. Oh yes. Un, undoubtedly. And it's, it's kind of funny. Cause when you, when we propose this to firms, cause again, we, the benefit of, I think working with us is we use form contracts. It gives us the ability to sort of look at the menu. Here's what other folks are doing around the benefits. For example, since we talked about that, they can see it and say, oh, great, educational reimbursement for, you know, get your CFP or your CFA or whatever designation it is that we feel is important for the role that you are in. We will help cover your study materials. We will even cover your testing fee for the first time. And when you get it, we'll even provide you a one-time bonus of, you know, $5,000 for getting your CFP, for example. That's Mm -hmm. not crazy. And then they see the next paragraph that we have in ours that talks about, and if you leave within the 24 months following the occurrence of all these things, oh, yes, you know, and they think, oh, well, yeah, that's right. I did actually, I knew somebody who just did this for their team member and then the person left and they were not super excited about it. So it's those things that frankly, just I hate to say it, but through trial and error over the years of having done this as a business owner and also working with clients, you know, you take your lumps, but then you work on improving the deliverables for the client. So even things like that, yes, every owner wants to invest in their team. And it's, I will butcher the saying, but there, there's a great saying out there on, you know, CEO talking to the CFO, talking about what if we invest in our people and they leave? That's obviously the CFO talking to the CEO and the CEO says, what if we don't and they stay? Ooh, I like that. Right? Like, oh, try, yes. hopefully it'll make us all feel better when we pay, you know, for the education for these people. And then they do a few years later leave, it still sucks. But what if they stay? Yes, yes. Well, okay, what trends have you been seeing regarding compensation and advisors recently? I I wouldn't say it has been an analog switch, but we have seen a pretty major shift, especially in the larger enterprise firms that, you know, they're on the other side of this. They have achieved scale, they're doing great, they have redundancies, you know, in different roles, they've got coverage in a robust organizational chart. They have 
all but left sort of the grid-based, the GDC-based compensation model and shifted to our framing for it. It takes lots of different shapes is we call it our BBP base bonus profits. There is a base salary. There is a bonus, obviously bonus is pretty self-explanatory. And then there is profits. The base varies. I mean, if you look at it as a, I'll put them into two groups, you know, farmers and hunters, farmers service, their operations, they are, they're professionals in many cases, but they may also you know manage the money, but they are not hunters. And I think hunters are pretty self-explanatory. Their job is business development, cultivate new clients, centers of influence, go out, do the radio show, do the seminars, lots of firms until they get that size and scale, they'll have kind of a hybrid, which makes the compensation a little bit harder, but still doable. But when you get to the size and scale and you can start really having people who you can just identify, you may not be a great hunter, but you are a really, really good farmer. And if I can get five or six good farmers in here for every great hunter, their hunter's job is just to bring them in and fill up the farmer's bucket of time. And then we'll bring in another one. We'll train them up in that model. Compensation for a farmer, for example, might have 70, 80% of their total comp benefits aside coming from the base, Mm -hmm. but you do still have a little bit of a bonus, for example, where the farmer's bonus might come from, if it's investment related, it's based on the investment portfolio performance. If it is based on a service professional, it might be surveys back from the clients, how they're doing. It might be uncovering new additional investable assets from the existing households. It is not for going and sourcing new business. You are a farmer. A, you're not good at it. B, you are really good at servicing the clients. I want to focus your time and effort there. And that if you are wildly successful, here's what that could mean for your compensation. As opposed to like a hunter, I don't want to, I want to give you a livable base, but I want to make sure that you have unlimited upside that if you can go out there and you can shake trees, go elephant hunting. Great. Why would I have you spend any of your time sitting in front of clients when I can pay somebody 60, $70 an hour, maybe for that, I, I can't get a hunter to do it for that kind of money. So we're seeing a lot more specialization in that base bonus profits calibrated for the location and the role works really, really well because that P part, the profit is what sort of helps bring it all together. You've got the base for doing the job. You got the bonus for going above and beyond and to reward the individual. The profit is sort of your holistic measure of success. It's tied to the firm. It could be, I mean, it could be literally profit as in like they get to be an owner, maybe non-voting shares. It could be an L tip a long-term incentive plan, mm-hmm. i.e. invested bonus program. It could just be annual profit sharing that you do discretionary. We don't have to overcomplicate or over-engineer anything, but usually that combination of the base bonus and profits, it's what we're seeing industry-wide when you back up and squint your eyes. That's where most of them seem to be at or headed. Let's bring this full circle to what you do, valuations. Does an IRA's compensation plan impact the value of their business? A hundred percent. One way or the other, the value of an RIA is directly impacted by the compensation. I mean, it's, it is the largest expense for a big firm, a small firm. It does not matter. Your professional staff, your employees, team members, or contractors, they are in aggregate 
almost every business owner's largest expense in the professional services space. So when you peel that back then and say, okay, well, what if we did group them into so that base bonus profits where it is less tied to GDC or revenue or grid-based compensation or the firm that pays their team members effectively all that way, but for maybe like the admin or ops people, Mm -hmm. when you take a look at the valuation, those that are paying their professionals on a grid-based payout, like a percentage of revenue, that is, if you think of a manufacturing firm, for example, it is the equivalent of your cost of goods sold. It comes right off the top before we get into looking at actual like gross profits. So valuation, it does the same thing. If I am a $10 million firm and I have $300,000 that I pay my professional staff on a grid, then really we're starting the valuation with a $7 million firm. Got it. Mm -hmm. As opposed to if we can do something, some version of that base bonus profits, when the firm goes from 10 million in revenue to 20, we don't see a direct scaling of the compensation. And the problem is in these sort of historical old school GDC-based revenue-based grid systems, when the firm doubles in size, the compensation doesn't even double in size. That would have been nice. The problem is when it goes from 10 to 20 million, the producers get credit for that and they want a higher payout. So it almost actually starts to feel like you're paying taxes. And we all know how you know us business owners feel about quarterly estimateds. Like it starts to feel like taxes where the more I make, the more I pay both as a percentage and the dollar amount. And not only does that hurt just as a business owner, from a valuation standpoint, to go back to your core of your question, the value of the business, you will watch these two businesses and they will separate further and further. And when your goal is to build an enterprise, you may never get to a point where you want to take on like private equity. But I mean, the difference in value can start to be millions of dollars. Even, I mean, we're not talking about huge firms, just large firms. It's a big difference. A potential buyer looking at a firm and the way you've talked about valuation here, the different parts of it, different aspects of it. Have you experienced a potential buyer coming in and saying, I want this, but I need to tweak this compensation plan? It actually, it does happen a lot. It's funny that you asked that without us being planning to talk about that because it does come up in deals because when anybody is buying a business, again, it could be a business with a million in revenue. It could be a business with 5 million in revenue, 10 million. It doesn't really matter. When you're buying a business, it comes with clients, of course, which sounds great. It comes with assets under management, which generates revenue, all good things. Problem is most buyers, they aren't sitting around on a ton of excess capacity. Mm-hmm. They they are staffed appropriately. They might have a little bit room for growth for sure. But what they're looking to do is certainly acquire the business. But from a scalability perspective, they like to pick up a couple of key staff people in this process, which will then let, let us not only retain the clients, but also be able to service them short-term and long-term. Right, right. Well, that sounds great. But if it turns out you haven't gone through and you haven't done the compensation studies and you haven't recalibrated, it gets really hard for a buyer to come in and say, well, Patrice, I'd love to buy your business. I think we have a ton of great chemistry. I think we both agree on that. But I'd like to pick up you know, your two key personnel that are client-facing. 
But we do the compensation studies. I do the research. I do benchmark. And I've got a pretty well thought out compensation plan. And my people are maybe slightly overpaid. Your people are, are paid 20% more than they are. <laughs> I, you know, Now I want to retain them, but I'd have to bring them over and give them a pretty hefty pay cut. And it's what I'm going to have to do because if they go anywhere else, they're going to experience the same thing. Unfortunately, I want to retain them, but now they're going to have kind of a bad taste in their mouth starting with me. So mm. all the more reason, whether you're on the buy side, the sell side, if you do nothing else, just at least start benchmarking this stuff. And there's good resources out there, but a lot of the benchmarking information that is out there industry-wide is based on you know, two or 300 surveys, which sounds good. You know, Two or 300 is not terrible. But the problem is when you start looking and saying, okay, well, it, it, let's go to the upper end. Say it was 300 survey respondents for some of the you know, biggest industry studies. Well, really, I don't want to know what a you know paraplanner gets paid in the United States. I want to know what a paraplanner gets paid in California. And really, there's some pretty big disparity in and around California. I'd really like to know what they get paid in San Diego. Well, now all of a sudden, you're 300 with just that, not even looking at designations, we're down to a sample size of five. And that can really skew the data. So really important to benchmark, but do it with a couple of different sources and make sure you know how big that sample size is because some of the industry resources aren't quite as useful when you drill down to that level of specificity, which is pretty much what everybody does. All right, David, recommendations regarding compensation. What what are some best practices that that you see? Never assume that you have got it right. I think that's a good place to start. <laughs> always come back, always revisit it. I mean, and it is, it's one of those things when you get together with other business owners, you can start to have some of these conversations, but it, I mean, it's compensation. You never want to feel like you are wanting to pay your people less, but at the end of the day, you, you do want to pay them fairly. And of course, how you view the definition of paying them fairly and how the employee views being paid fairly, they're always going to be at odds. It's just the nature of the beast. But benchmark periodically. And by periodically, I mean at least annually. As you start to do it, whether you work with a firm like ours or somebody else, it, it actually does get easier. It gets faster. You'll feel better about it because now we're just recalibrating a system. But I would say come back to it periodically. And going back to where we started on sort of the split, the fork in the road is if you want to build sort of your own mini broker dealer, OSJ, sort of RIA, that's that hub and spoke where the RIA is the back office. And then the producers are out there in the field doing their own thing. Their grid-based, GDC-based compensation works fantastic. If you are trying to build an ensemble team, like an actual team, capital T, then you're going to have to look at shifting away at some point, either with current staff members gradually, or at least with the next new staff members shifting to some version of that base bonus and profit. And with that comes the ability to then start focusing on hiring specialists. And that's something where we're already seeing that industry-wide, but the more you can focus on specialists, the easier it is going to be to hire for, the more... You're going to be able to dial that compensation plan in. Mm -hmm. Think back to like your first hire for most of us. Your first hire is usually like an ad admin. If all I need them to do is pick the phone up and make sure they get back to clients as I onboard them, that's a pretty easy job. I could do it, but I don't have time to do it all. So I go hire for that 
very narrow skill set. And it cost me $25 an hour, 50 something thousand dollars a year. Okay, that that's manageable. Well, as you start looking for farmers, I just need someone who can service clients. There are a ton of those people out there. And as you can stockpile these farmers, usually one or two of them out of a group of, you know, five or six, they'll show some soft skills for, you know, selling and closing. It may not be like us as entrepreneurs, but you can start to really build these things up. So anyway, I would go back to figure out ultimately what it is you are trying to build. If you want to build a lifestyle practice, then just keep it really, really simple, but you're still going to have some of these conversations and problems from time to time. If you're focused on building the enterprise, do the organizational planning, get the compensation models set up, get the job descriptions and your org chart done, not for where you are today, but for where you want to end up. Right. And I've seen these folks do these org charts with us and they, you can tell they're skeptical at first because they're looking at this robust org chart and they're a team of five, but they want to get to a billion and then beyond a billion. And they're saying, well, I don't have that complicated of an org chart. Then we always end up pushing back and say, well, you do. Just there's only five names. There's a bunch of them repeated, but all these tasks are getting done. Big firm, small firm. So it's important to recalibrate this stuff and sort of know what your end destination is. If you want to keep it lean and mean, own that. If you want to build the enterprise, that next empire, take have your IPO, fantastic. Just don't get stuck in the middle. I love it, David. The middle is the white death. There's nothing there. It really is. I mean, it's part of why when you talk about going and doing like job fairs at colleges and stuff, and I've said this before because you heard me say it. And if you listen to the other podcasts, listeners, you will have heard this as well. But it's part of why the numbers of new Series 7 professionals coming into our industry isn't going up as fast or as proportional mm -hmm. as it should be to the number exiting and aging out of our industry. Because who in the world wants to come out of college with their bachelor's, or maybe they even went a little further and got their MBA, you're going to come out and the job you take is a commission-based sales job selling fill in the blank. Like it's not vacuums or insurance necessarily anymore, but it's about as attractive to a new college grad. Like, yeah. but if you can show them a career track, you can show them, you know, a small base, a bonus and profit. We're going to train you. You're going to be able to service clients. We're going to get you licensed. We're going to get you designations. And then if you show the acumen for it, we'll move you into sort of that hunter role. If you don't, there's a whole career track here as a farmer. They have much better names for these things. Don't get me wrong, but <laughs> you get the idea. That really, I mean, at the end of the day, that is going to be the future of our industry. If we don't fix the compensation, we're going to have a hell of a time getting people to come into this industry. By the way, I think farmers and hunters are perfect titles. They, they just nail it right there. But how can advisors reach you, David? So especially on this topic, you know, watch us on social media. I said it generically. We also post, of course, to you know, Facebook, Instagram, but for the most part, it all hits, you know, LinkedIn, because that's where us as fellow business owners, B2B, end up existing. So we always post all of our you know, snippets, great highlights of resources there, as well as just the website. You can go to successionresource.com. Uh, we have our live chat on there. You'll be chatting with our administrative staff. They can get you set up to talk to somebody. But yeah, seek us out. We continue to push you know, new content out, frankly, if nothing else, just to get us all collectively thinking about this stuff a little bit more often. Listeners, follow this podcast to get David's latest insights and share with others. Get the conversation going. Thanks for being with us. And that concludes another episode of SRG Offscript. 
We hope you found this episode both interesting and valuable. We encourage you to check out our website at successionresource.com, or of course, connect with us on social for the latest happenings at SRG. If you just can't get enough of SRG Offscript, we invite you to join our monthly Q&A webinar, SRG Offscript Live, where we address your questions sparked by the latest podcast topic. Finally, if you enjoyed today's episode as much as we did recording it, please leave us a review and tell your industry friends about us. Your support helps us continue to bring you the best content possible. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Succession Resource Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice. Always seek the advice of an expert with any questions you may have. As always, we at SRG stand ready to help when you're ready.